Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Hello, and welcome to Growth Insights Podcast. I'm so happy to welcome back Mary Ellen Lynch, Principal Center Store Solutions here at IRI, to talk about private label. We've had a few episodes this year about private brands, but this one seems especially timely because we're experiencing very high inflation. Uh, Inflation was 8.5% in July, which was down a little bit from 9.1% in June. And some people consider that relief, but I think the hard fact is that inflation is 11% in CPG and it stings. Um, I've asked Mary Ellen to talk with me because typically there's when there's high inflation, and specifically I'm thinking of the Great Recession of 2008 and 2009, people turn to private label as a cost savings measure. So Mary Ellen, welcome. And would you say that, is that the case now? Are people buying private label as a cost savings measure? Well, first off, hello, Joan. Good to be with you again. (laughs) Um, I would say that consumers are supplying a variety of strategies to how they shop. But let's just consider for a moment this interesting fact. If you ask the consumer how the economy is doing, they will say terrible. If you ask them how they personally are doing, they would say, "Um, you know, I'm okay, but I feel bad for the other guy. So that's a little bit different than 2008 and 2009, where there was record high unemployment and um, just a a myriad of things going on. This is a different combination of things that are occurring. And so, yes, people still have to live within a certain budget. And so they are making trade-offs. Um, but they're not trading off to private label the way they did in the Great Recession. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Correct. And in fact, you know, what we've seen across the store in, in so many departments is that volume is down, whether or not it's private brand or name brand. Um, so are you seeing that people are just consuming a little bit less overall? That's true. Exactly, Joan. People are, if you look at volume, so you're going to see a lot of statistics in the press around dollars. Dollars are up. Sales are up. That's based on dollars. And of course, they're up because prices are up. But if you want to really understand consumer demand, you need to look at volume. And people are buying less volume of both store brands and name brands. And again, as I was saying earlier, this is to meet their grocery budget constraints, you know, they have to live within a certain, you know, framework of their budget and they'll buy less. They're holding off buying that extra for the pantry. They're holding off buying and looking for a better price elsewhere. They'll hold off buying to reduce food waste and they'll hold off on buying more discretionary type items. You know, they're, they're being more conscious about what they're purchasing and thinking, do I really need this? Got it. So we, 
issued, IRI issued a press release recently, which is available on our website, iriworldwide.com, that really talked a lot about inflation. And there was a, a snippet in there on private label, and the private label was growing in certain categories. So can you speak to where private label is growing? Indeed, it is quite definitely growing in high inflationary categories, your meat, dairy, eggs, oil, some of the more single ingredient type categories. And in fact, those categories drove about 50% of the grocery price inflation. And this is, again, where the consumers leaned in more to store brands. Um, And also, these are the categories where products are less differentiated. I was just thinking that when you were talking about so many of those dairy categories, that seems to be very heavy um, private label anyway, right? Correct. Yeah. And, you know, now that you're even mentioning it, okay, those single, when you say single ingredient, I think baking aisle. And again, that would be a go-to, you know, where the, you don't really see that much difference in some of those items like flour or sugar or baking soda. That's right. Yeah. Interesting. Still looking at private label. And again, I can't quite get that whole recession thing out of my head. Are there other categories, maybe more multi-ingredient categories, where private label is doing well? There are. There are a few. And in fact, one that's a little bit of a surprise is frozen snacks. And the reason it's surprising is because in general, the snack companies, the big brands, they invest a lot in building brand awareness and engaging the consumer and drawing them into their brands. And so seeing snacks um, in Frozen kind of break out as um, a growth area is a little surprising. And then secondarily, we're seeing refrigerated spreads. Keep in mind, this also includes hummus, which is, you know, still continuing to grow itself. And so when I think about these two categories, Frozen snacks, and then also the refrigerated spreads, they seem to me to both align with on-premise family dining, like the grazer appetizer menu. And so maybe it's a case where these are things, um, you know, to re kind of revisit that kind of experience at home, or maybe it's just a case that, you know, consumers are snacking more at home. You know, I I have a fun example too, um, that I've seen are like pretzel bites in kind of a party tray. Um, for private brand. And it's like, that is pretty interesting. That that kind of hits exactly where you're saying. It's like that restaurant experience, but at home. So yeah, that's, that's a really interesting take. So that frozen appetizer or frozen, yeah, frozen appetizer, frozen snacks, that kind of does speak to more like group or entertaining. And I think that takes me back to your comment about volume and how volume was the better way not just sales dollars or not unit sales, but that was a better way of looking at things. So are these particularly with frozen snacks, is that more about like a better volume deal? It's going to differ by category and by product and nature of product. You know, right now it sometimes feels like the wild west of price changes out there with manufacturing taking manufacturers taking price at different times as well as retailers executing price changes at different times. And the consumer who shops multiple stores has been seeing this in action. And so it could have been because of size or it could have been 
for convenience because we know there's some little three pack type frozen snack things out there as well. But what is important because of this dynamic right now with pricing and size of product is volume should be the focus. Volume will reflect consumer demand and looking at dollars, mass demand truth. And it's important to understand like how much is selling, not just how many, not just based on how many dollars um, pass through the register. You are really hitting a nerve there. And um, I want to talk a little bit more about this because what we're also seeing and what the shopper is definitely seeing is shrinkflation where package size might go down um, and volume go down with it. Or it might be that the package looks the same, but the volume is down. Um, so I want to, you know, talk a little bit more about that. Is like private label, would that be an antidote to some of that shrinkflation that we're seeing with name brands? Not necessarily because they're affected by those actions taken by the brand. And store brand wants its margins too, right? And changing volume or anything means extra costs. Um, for the new packaging um, or count within the package or whatever they change related to the package. And these changes in packaging size and counts and volumes can roll out rapidly by the name brands, less so by the store brands, because their manufacturers basically have to keep switching out labels and packaging and do new design for that store brand, possibly. And so it's a little less agile than Really, it's a really important for the store brands to pay attention to that price pack architecture that's emerging on shelf and be agile and responsive to what the name brand companies are doing. Yeah. Um, I can totally see how that would be something that store brands couldn't necessarily keep up with, but maybe that's an on-shelf promotion right there just to say, look, our, our volume or our size, our pack size hasn't changed theirs has, um, you know, almost look, take a look at the volume that you're getting. But that's just, that's exactly right, Joan. And the bottom line is the store brand on the shelf relative to the changes the name brands make in our executing needs to make sense with the consumer. And the consumer doesn't want to be surprised when they get the product home and realize, you know, it has only you know, it's only an eight count and not a 10 count like it used to be. Mm -hmm. And so there is opportunity there, but it definitely, there's a lot of evolution happening at shelf. Yeah. That's so interesting. I just talked to Ray Florio and he mentioned that exact same thing where, you know, a a product might change the number of servings. Um, You know, he used the example of hot dogs going from a really big jumbo hot dog to a smaller hot dog, you know, a normal size hot dog, but maybe adding another one in the pack to really satisfy the consumer. So the consumer feels like they're getting more. So I completely get that. Um, You know, our, that inflation press release that I mentioned also talked about consumers trading down to trade up. And I know so many um, retailers have different private label programs that come in tiers. So some of the, some products might be premium, some might be same as national brand. So can you tell if it tell us if there's like movement toward or away from some of those products in tiers? Well, we're seeing some movement into premium especially, but in reality, about 80% of store brands are national brand equivalent type products. 
Um, there is additional opportunity for growth in the more premium and kind of eclectic product if the product really does have the benefits of premium. And that means, is it better than, and can I trust the store brand to provide that premium experience given it is priced less than the premium brand? Also, you know, the premium success must be analyzed by the rate retailer within the context of its store brands. And again, yes, we're seeing some success in those premium stores. Yeah, but um, but here's where I'd like to bring up a case of um, we didn't really talk about this earlier, Joan. But the refrigerated pizza at Aldi and refrigerated pizzas overall, the store brands have been growing like crazy during um, this time, inflationary time. And one thing that I found interesting is another hot item at Aldi is their 95 cent pizza dough, and that's not really actually premium, but what it does is it provides a foundation for that consumer to interpret their own interpretation or premiumization, right? And so you can see a lot of chatter online about how people have used this refrigerated dough and used other products to make it from Aldi to make it premium, like uh, burnt ends and a particular sauce or adding my own vegetables and this other premium cheese. And so they're actually using that as a foundation. So premiumization um, can take different forms. Right. And you know what, that's, I say that all the time about value, like value isn't all about price. So you're absolutely right to call that out. It's, it's the perception of the shopper with um, what it is they're purchasing. And in this case, it might be more of an experience, you know, because that is half the fun is building your own pizza. So I get that. Um, so I love that Aldi example. Can we talk about um, some retailers that are um, that do do private brands well? Um, you know, I mean, you and I have talked in the past about Aldi fans and their Isle of Shame or their Aldi nerd groups and stuff. But what other retailers do you really look at um, as hitting the mark with private brands? Well, different retailers deploy different strategies for different purposes. For example, Aldi's clearly trying to clear some inventory with their red tag sale. Something Aldi, you typically won't see a red tag type sale at Aldi, but they're moving a lot of product right now. <laughs> Which definitely speaks to our inflationary period. So yay. yay. And another example is Wegmans. Wegmans has a strategy of high quality, great price store brands. And they're known for their quality of these store brands. Um, it gets the shopper into the store and then they lure the shopper into, you know, pricier prepared foods and specialty items, which they are also known for. And the shopper can feel good about um, buying those items because they saved on the basics. It's a different kind of strategy than Aldi. And then another one would be HEB, which it's a destination as well because of their breadth of assortment for their store brands and the quality of those brands and how eclectic some of those store brands are. That's so cool. And, you know, I always love Target because Target has so many different store brands all across the the store that I, I would guess a lot of consumers don't even realize are store brands. Um, very cool, very different to your point, very different purposes. And I like that Wegmans example, because that goes back to almost like not necessarily trading down, but feeling comfortable with spending a little bit more for a different type of product. You know, I'm saving money on this 
nice store brand, but so I can afford that prepared meal, for example. Exactly. It comes back to the putting the consumer or shopper at the center and the psychology and the needs of that consumer. So in, in kind of wrapping up, Mary Ellen, a couple of the things that I'm hearing from you is that private brands are doing well, but in the categories where they've typically done well, and that programs have become so much more sophisticated and different retailers have their own approaches to um, private brands. You know, to your point, I think you mentioned that 80% of private brands are um, national brand equivalent. So not necessarily that low entry point or that premium product, but, you know, kind of on par with those um, name brands. But at the same time, um, you know, they've all got different strategies, whether it's really helping people stick to a tight budget or making people feel comfortable about maybe spending up in some categories. Did I miss anything? Is there something else that you'd like to add? No, I think that's exactly right. And again, it comes back to the strategy for that particular retailer, the overall strategy for store brands, and then how that strategy is executed on shelf within different categories. And different categories will have different strategies. One, some categories will require that lowest price anchor and other categories won't. And some categories, um, it's relevant to have the premiumization of items in that set. And in some categories, it's not. So it's multi-tiered and and then, of course, execution, right? Yep, which is a completely different conversation um, because until retailers start treating their store brands as name brands and giving them the support they need, um, maybe we won't see that big dive towards store brands that we saw in the recession and I'll still be here scratching my head. <laughs> well, one last point too is, you know, during the last recession, so that 2008, 9, 9 into 2012, remember some of these retailers were building their store brands and really executing on them. So they've already had success in their store brands. So how much more can they gain incrementally during this time when many consumers are already aware of them and may already have them in their acceptable set? Mm-hmm. So that's the inch, that's the question. Yep, yep. And you know, it's funny because just that strategy that you just described of what happened in the Great Recession throughout the pandemic, it's been all about e-commerce. So again, I want to go back to that whole marketing. And it's like you can use your e-commerce platform to promote your products first. Um, and I think even talk up the, you know, the inflationary factors that might make your store brands um, the viable choice. So with that, Mary Ellen, thank you again. Always such a pleasure. Thank you, Joan. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.